Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With the way that technology has advanced itself, there's this constant stream of interruptions that we almost have decided aren't interruptions. But every time you check your Twitter, you're interrupting your train of thought. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. You're wrong. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Jim, I think almost all of us love our tablets, we love our smartphones, our other devices, but what are they doing to our brains? Yeah, right. I mean, emails, text messages, all kinds of social media, you know, just the web itself. All of this can distract us from being present in the moment of our daily lives. You know, there's a Pew study that says 89% of people interrupted their last social encounter by looking at a phone. 89%. That's stunning to me. Yeah. All of this stuff gets in the way of communication, and, and I'm particularly interested in the impact it has on the family. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Today's guest, Abigail Baird, developmental psychologist at Vassar College, an expert on the teenage brain, and the first guest on our show returning to do a second episode of How Do We Fix It? Right. Abby, you were here for our very first episode, and it was so interesting. We thought we'd, we'd go back and look at some of these questions from a little bit of a different perspective. You, in addition to your work on the teenage brain and, and brain development, you're also a mother of two. And so you're living this as a daily reality. So what do you think about the impact? Let's, let's start with just with smartphones, uh, of, of that on the, the family and on kids. First of all, thank you for having me back. I mean, the show has been wonderful. Um, I think in terms of smartphones and kids, you need look no further than um, Northwest, Kim Kardashian's child who tweeted for the first time a couple weeks ago and made national news. Um, and, and the child's name really is Northwest. Yes. The last name is West. Kim Kardashian West. She married to Kanye West. Their daughter's name is North. Um, I hope she has a sense of direction. That would be good. <laughs> um, but she certainly can use her smartphone, much like her mother, the queen of they selfies. They have compasses on those smartphones now. Yes. Know. And she tweeted a few um, characters, much to the embarrassment of her socially savvy mom, who quickly corrected billions of followers. The idea that three, four, five-year-olds know how to unlock a smartphone, open an app, get online, um, and I can certainly, I can tell you my own children are more than aware of how to do that at um, probably five and six, um, is both 
I think both thrilling and exciting in terms of what they may have access to in a great way and um, how they can help in emergency situations. Um, but it's terrifying in terms of um, what they could get into. So why is it terrifying? Well, I think we often forget that children, really the whole reason that we develop is to fit into our culture and to fit into whatever our society says uh, are typical behaviors. No one comes hardwired with all the keys to behaving um, well with their friends. No one knows really how to make friends in their group. So are they experimenting online now rather than experimenting in front of their friends and their families? That certainly is the concern. And, you know, if you have a choice between sitting on a couch with a cool little gadget that shows you lots of colors and makes cool noises versus the rather anxiety-provoking idea of going outside and trying to make a new friend, a lot, it, I, that's a hard choice to make. And I think it's it for some people it might be too easy to pick the sparkly fun gadget. Well, you teach college, and we'll get into the impact on college kids a little bit later. (laughs) But let's look at adults. It's not just kids. Our brains have a craving for novelty, for instant gratification. And these devices certainly feed that. Absolutely true. I mean, I think one of the things, um, I love that you're tackling this topic now. I do think um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the technology natives Um, cope with this as they move into um, our age group. I think there might be ways in which it's more addictive for some uh, non-native users. The millennials are kind of in the middle and the very young children now, this might not be a problem for them. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know that we should condemn all of it right away. Well, you know, when the telephone was first invented, there were columns in the newspaper about People are just going to spend their time in this ridiculous waste of time chatting about nothing. So I do think you can see that every information technology has its critics. But there is something different about the unstoppable nature, the the way that we use social media. I'm a big Twitter person. I find it really useful. It's always there. It's this river that's always flowing right by your front door. So you're tempted to go out and dip into it You know, anytime there's a quiet moment. With the the way that technology has advanced itself, there's this constant stream of interruptions that we almost have decided aren't interruptions. But fundamentally at their core, every time you check your Twitter, you're interrupting your, your train of thought. But you can construct your life so that you don't always look at your texts and you don't always uh, look at your emails and so that they don't necessarily interrupt you. I mean, you can go and read a book for an hour and turn that stuff off or put it in a different room. And Richard, that, in fact, is how we fix it. It is. (laughs) It is. And we'll get to more solutions a little bit later. I wanted to bring Miranda Schaefer, our producer, into the conversation. How distracting are devices to you? Oh, extremely distracting. The man that I am seeing was was irritated because I was trying to edit this show and I said, look, I'm going to have to put my phone on airplane mode because there's no way I can get anything done if I know that my phone is going to be beeping and things like that. So if we're getting a lot of our information uh, from this stream of tiny little bits and constant interruptions instead of the maybe the slower, more difficult uh, formation of knowledge by reading a book or even a magazine article. Do we remember it differently? Does it affect our brain structure differently? I, that's a wonderful question. I th- honestly think time will tell. I think it certainly does impact learning strategies. So um, 
there are things that once upon a time I had to memorize as, as a psychologist, I had to memorize things and had them, have them at my fingertips because yes, they were in a book, but it would take me and I knew right where to go, but it would still take me quite a while. So I really needed to have them at my fingertips as a professor. Now, so much of what I do is not, um, ask my students to memorize things, but instead try to teach them how to filter information, how to discern what's good information and what's false information. How do you determine a good source online? Um, how do you cross-check things? How do you? So I think there's so much learning that can happen online. Um, where I think we need to do some work is the impact it's having in our social interactions. Um, I think learning-wise, I mean, and again, I'm probably biased because I'm an educator, but learning-wise, oh, my goodness, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, when G- and Jim and I are both writers or do a lot of writing, and, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I oh, think yeah, that it's no important question. for us to, to stress that there are a lot of positive. Yeah, no. Aspects. You listen. I'm a technology guy. You're not going to. Yeah. You're not going to get that luddite kind of perspective from me. <laughs> yeah, and because I, I have read a bunch of articles which are, oh my goodness, the internet's wrecking our culture, yeah. and yeah, we have to pay attention to what it might be doing to us. But to simply say it's wrecking us, I think, is destructive. I, I mean, and, and as somebody, you know, I'm researching a, a book right now, and I think about where I'd have to go. You know, I can get transcripts of. The uh, the communications at NASA the morning the Space Shuttle Columbia blew up, you know, and a full transcript of everything that was said, you but, know, and I don't have to go down to the NASA archive and make a trip to, you know, Washington or Houston or somewhere. And it, to, that's kind of extraordinary. Well, let's get back to the negative stuff and the, and the, right. and the concerns. Do, do you think that cell phones, smartphones, tablets – computers are having an impact on empathy in any way? Well, there there certainly are data floating around that would suggest yes. There's a way in which texting someone, in which um, posting on someone's page, in which actually interpreting someone based on their posts or pictures simplifies a, um, human interactions that are actually infinitely complex. Um, one of the things that humans are incredibly good at Dogs give us a run for our money in this department, but we're 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 kind of the tops at this. We interpret others' cues very well, um, and and young people who are adept at text will tell you the subtleties of texting are starting to become very very communicative. A period makes all the difference these days at the end of a sentence. I think the way it reduces empathy is it makes our connections less human, less fundamentally human. Um, you know, there aren't any smart devices that would pass the Turing test. What is the Turing test? This idea that you could actually create a computer that would be so flexible um, and thoughtful, and, it's, and thoughtful is probably the wrong word because it couldn't actually, um, but that could pass for human. That if it was behind a black wall and you were to ask questions, this computer would spit out answers. And those answers would be nuanced and thoughtful and actually leave the person interacting with the machine uncertain as to whether they're interacting with a human or a computer. Of course, I know some people who couldn't pass the Turing test. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I don't want to name names, but I do also know people who um, who aren't so good at reading facial cues. And again, that's, when it, that's where I would volley back to this being a good thing. There's some... Um, Teens who are so introverted that they actually use social media to to warm up, to practice their interactions before they throw themselves into the mix for real. There's been some uh, reporting research into um, 
how social media affects people's view of themselves in comparison. The way everybody creates this idealized image of themselves. It's almost like those Christmas card letters you get where everyone's kids are, you know, Rhodes Scholars and, and yeah, on the way I, to the I just sent one out. <laughs> it says exactly that. So, you know, so Facebook is kind of like that. Like everybody's life is just so much more amazing than yours. What's the impact of this? Yeah, if you're in a bad mood and you go on Facebook, you're going to notice more people who look like they're having a better time than you. And it may reinforce this idea that your life is particularly not so good. Um, the other way in which I think it really does impact empathy is that um, people can post things that they're not responsible for and um, that they they perceive themselves. They truly perceive themselves to be anonymous. And again, if you grew up before the internet, writing graffiti somewhere in your town, you get caught. Someone would know. Someone would either see you or they'd recognize the handwriting. Or We just, we never, I, I don't think our age group really perceives ourselves as truly anonymous at times. It's very easy to say something mean if you're in a bad mood and you don't think anyone is going to be able to track you down. And perhaps it also has an impact on the public square, that mm-hmm. everybody is entitled to their own opinion and they see themselves in terms of me rather than we. And I think there's a sort of a middle ground. It's not anonymous. But on Twitter, you see this a lot. People engaging in debates about things. They're not really anonymous. You know who they are. But they're they're shielded and they have a sort of Twitter persona. And some surprisingly prominent – I can think of a number of writers at major magazines – think nothing of – of using profanity, you know, in response to something they read that somebody else said. Just seems a little inappropriate. And I've always wondered why they feel that's okay. Well, and I think it I think that speaks directly to, you know, um something that we're reading more and more about, which is um, you know, the the millennials lack of civility. They really do and I don't think it's intentional and I don't think it's mean spirited. I think a lot of them honestly um don't necessarily have a lot of experience engaging in tense Difficult, fraught, civil. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Behavior. Yeah, you teach college. You're at Vassar College. The best college in the country. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) And you've had a lot of experience interacting with, with students. Do they communicate in ways that you think, aha, that's the result of all the technology they have? Oh, my goodness, Richard. Let me count the ways. Um, The first is being on their phones during class. And Vassar is a small school. So my biggest class is 33, 34 people. Their desks are not constructed in a way that I cannot see the phone on their lap. Um, One of my favorite examples of this, a young woman was um, texting and her phone fell on the floor. 
and she picked it up and put it back on her thigh and continued texting. It fell on the floor a second time. She picked it up, put it back on her thigh, continued texting. It honestly did fall a third time. And as she was picking it up, I stopped the class and I said, I think I can help you with that. And she looked at me like, oh no, I'm busted. And I said, you know, it actually wouldn't fall on the floor if you put it in your bag. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> and then literally put it on her lap and kept going. So what are some of the other ways? One of the ways that a lot of us got to know people in college was just by virtue of being in a class and having all kind of filter out of that class. And then you'd hear, you'd hear a lot of people saying, oh, where, where's your next class? Or are you going to lunch? Or um, what I see when students leave the room, earbuds go in as they're packing their stuff up to check whatever social media they're interested in or maybe a fifth of the class, a sixth of the class, I hear, mom, yeah, I'm just leaving class. Um, And I always startle because the idea of calling my parents after a college class is hilarious to me. You came with some great solutions. I want to get to them in one minute, but something that you've touched on is that if you are always carrying your smartphone with you at college, then the likelihood that you're going to meet strangers or you know, bump into people who you don't really know or find yourself in a situation where you have to talk to somebody else is that much less. 100%. So it's one of the things that, um, so again, to use Vassar as an example, because I'm also an alum, um, my students, um, you should see the looks on their faces when I tell them that I knew everybody in my graduating class. There were 600 people in my graduating class, and I didn't know them all intimately well. Um, I knew all of their faces. I could still pick I would say 90, probably 90% of them out of photographs. And they're stunned because they know 20 or 30 people. One of the reasons that's true is they stay in touch with everyone from high school. And so when I went to college, via Facebook, via, or, via, yeah. Facebook, via the text, via everything, which in some ways is great. And I have a, I'm not sure where I stand on that because it's great to keep your friends. Um, they text each other about mealtimes. And they're horrified when I tell them that back in my day, I literally would walk over to my friend's room in a different dorm. So walk across campus, knock on her door. If she was not there, and they like all look terrified at this point. And I'm like, if she wasn't there, then I had some choices. I could see who else lived on that floor. And if maybe I kind of knew someone on that floor, I could walk very slowly out of the dorm and hope to bump into somebody I knew. (laughs) I was like, I had, you know, and if you talk to people our age, we had like strategies, you know, then walk very slowly towards the cafeteria, hoping to run into people. (laughs) So you wonder what we've lost. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I remember being horribly nerve wracking, and I remember the the solace for that being that I knew everyone was in the same position I was, so that if I did say, "Hey, do you guys mind if I sit down?" Everyone at that table had been in my spot at some point. So what the, what a lot of our students do now and is they'll sit in their rooms and text until someone's available to accompany them to a meal. So there's absolutely no pressure to make new friends at college. Wow, that's really fascinating. You actually did some really nice preparation on some uh, some ideas about how to still make the most of this wonderful technology, but uh, but maybe get a grip on some of the ways that it's disrupting our, our social interactions. I think the umbrella, um, the umbrella thought on this stuff is that there is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think anyone who, who hands you a prescription for how to handle technology in your home, it's, that's just silly. Because different families have different dynamics. They have different needs. Um, and some young people can put it away very easily. Some other young people really need your help as an adult. Fair enough, but but that's the disclaimer. But I yes. think a few of the things you've said do apply to a lot of us, and one of them Fair. is timeout zones. 
you can have them formally. And a lot of people have written about like having either um, places like the car or, um, you know, dinner time or having places or times in, in your daily life where it's not allowed. I I think that's doable. I think as a parent, um, I'm speaking more as a parent than a professional at this mm-hmm. point. I think you get more pushback in those arbitrary timeout zones. I think the best timeout zones are um, like a trampoline park. My children both love the trampoline parks that are springing up. And like you cannot have your iPod and do Ninja Warrior trampoline um, course. You can't go to hockey practice or soccer practice and have your device with you. So finding things that are as engaging to people as the internet, and there still are things, plays, being in a play, volunteer work, um, there are things that are still as engaging. And I think appreciating those as timeout zones is very important. Talk about tethering, which we mentioned before, and this idea that so many parents call their kids several times a day when they're away at college. So um, Sherry Turkle, who's at MIT, um, has written about this, and um, I think her work is absolutely incredible. So I highly recommend giving her a read. And she brings up a lot of very important things. One of her concepts is tethering, this idea that um, through um, social media and through texting and easy communication, we can stay overly connected to people that we should have a little more distance from. One of the most critical points of adolescence is to differentiate yourself from your parents, is to become independent of your parents. That is the point, actually. That is the reason we have an adolescence, is to become separated. And, um, and sometimes the kids invite it themselves. You know, if that parent's always there every time you have a setback or a problem, and maybe this is part of what's con- contributing to this, you know, demand for safe spaces and freedom from any kind of argument or, or disagreement in college is, you know, if your parents have always been there saying, oh, I'll talk to your teacher, I'll do this, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll smooth the way for you because they, because there's that communication every time there's a little incident. Absolutely. I mean, I know, I know a number of students who even send um, papers home for their parents to proofread. Let's talk about the impact on conversations. The, I mean, that statistic that I mentioned at the top oh of the gosh. show, nine out of 10 people saying they interrupted their last conversation. Not irritating when I do it, of but course. with my wife, it's just really irritating when she does it. Well, one one fix, and I might be oversimplifying. Um, I know I've had a lot of success with this particular fix because as a single mom, there are a few numbers that are critically important numbers. If my phone rang, I really would need to pick it up. And I give those a different ringtone. And if it's not one of those tones, I don't look at it if I'm doing something else. You also had an idea of a time off week. So I, I'm... So excited to tell you guys where that idea actually came from. I was lucky enough last year to go to Botswana. My work besides teenagers is with elephants. And um, I was completely cut off for seven or eight days. They did have a phone for emergencies at the main house. And it was the best (laughs) experience I've had in years. I felt like a little kid again. I felt like when I was out watching the elephants and watching the animals, I was really watching them. I was so free. I had nothing else on my mind. I was present in the moment. It reminded me that, yeah, you can push all that stuff to the side. It was such a great reminder of, wait a minute, I did this for years. I should be able to do this at home by simply putting things away and put put a vacation message on your email that says, it's Friday night or it's Thursday night or whatever night you designate as family night, and I'll get back to you as soon as I'm back online. Making a great case for Time Out. Abby Baird, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
Jim, I think one of the most important things Abby Baird said was about time out. And I have a story from our family. My son, Harry, who's 25, when he goes out with his friends to a bar, they gather around a table and they put their phones in the middle of the table. And the first person to reach for the phone, they have to pay for a round of drinks. Yeah. So maybe this reflects a little bit of what Abby was yeah, saying. Yeah. So they that, have a timeout ritual. Right. And that maybe, you know, people who've grown up with technology since since childhood, um, maybe won't have as much trouble figuring out ways to harness it in their lives without letting it take over. Yeah. We have been talking a lot about the negative side of technology, but one of my biggest regrets is that I fell out of touch with anyone who I went to high school with. I think I have only one friend who I've known from that period of my life. That would not have happened if I'd been on Facebook. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, it allows people to keep social relationships alive over gaps of, of time and distance, which I think is a plus. But let's think for a second about what a huge revolution in human history this is. Today, an enormous percentage of people on the planet, even in very poor countries, have smartphones today. It means they're connected to each other, they're connected to markets, they're connected to information. And this has all happened just in a in a decade. It's really it's phenomenal how rapidly this has spread. It's almost as if Gutenberg invented the printing press and twenty years later everybody knew how to read books and and had books. It, there has never been a technology in human history that that's been adopted by as many people as quickly as a smartphone. And and of course it's going to affect our behavior. Yeah, well just reading books changes your brain. So yeah, I'm I, on balance. I, I when I see families at the table, you know, out to dinner and the kids are on tablets and dad's on the phone. That really worries me. But on balance, I'm, I'm a techno-optimist. One of the things, though, that Abby did point out is that if smartphones are the primary means by which you're communicating with people, that is not helpful. And I do think that, that smartphones have had a negative impact on many conversations. Okay, but you have to make some distinctions. Um, Take using text instead of a phone call. I just got a whole stack of texts from my wife concerning some of the logistics about the day. If we'd had to have live phone conversations, <laughs> she's reminding you. <laughs> uh, it would, no, it was other things, but it would it would just be incredibly disruptive. And uh, you know, I'm driving. I'm doing this. I can let them stack up. When I get a free minute, I can answer them. You know, I think it's better manners. Um, I do a lot of interviewing for a book that I'm writing. You don't just call people out of the blue. You send them an email. You set up a time when it works for them. They don't have to set aside time. I think face-to-face communication is great, but, um, but we're able to handle more conversations with more people without, in a funny way without disrupting them as much by making appropriate use of this technology. Our face-to-face conversation has been great, and I want to point out that during the recording of every show, we put our phones on airplane mode and we just talk to each other. Well, this it's a podcast. It's all about talking, but people listen to it when they want. So we're using the technology in a way that kind of combines a little bit of the old and the new. The show is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer, Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for joining us in the studio. And our engineer here at the uh, Mona Lisa studio in uptown Manhattan is Denise Barberita. Social media being handled by Megan Christensen. And our music is by... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I, Lou Stravinsky. <laughs>